This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Binyamin Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Tshuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. I'd like to begin the second topic, the second shiur about Harav Shlomo Eger, the son of Rabbi Kiv Eger, the brother-in-law of the Chassam Sofer, by referring to one of the tshuvas that I mentioned last week. The question there that we discussed was whether or not it was proper to say Shir HaYichud. From the question itself, it wasn't clear, to me at least, to which Shir HaYichud they were referring. I suggested that they were referring to Shir HaYichud that was said every day. Since I'm not familiar with the custom of saying Shir HaYichud every day, I really wasn't sure what it was, uh, the issue involved. However, he, the Mahadir, Rav Ketzalim quoted a Siddur of Rabbi Yaakov Emden, and I cited that the quote from the Siddur from the footnotes of the Sefer. The reason I did not check it in Rabbi Yaakov Emden's Siddur itself is because I did. And I didn't find it because I looked after the Shir Shalyom, after the Tfilot of Shacharit, of Musaf. However, in the meantime, I did find the Shirei Hayichud, but in a strange, to me at least, it's considered a strange place at the very, very end of the Siddur. The last pages of the Siddur have the various Shirei Hayichud for each day. Anim Zemiros is not the Shir HaYichud for Shabbos. There is a special Shir HaYichud for every day of the week. And there, the discussion of the Ksav Sofer quite quoting this Sefer is from if, the Rabbi Yaakov Emden is from that those, those few last pages of the Sefer where he Rabbi Yaakov Emden has the whole discussion whether it is proper or improper to say the Shir HaYichud at the end Rabbi Yaakov Emden himself suggested that there is a proper way to say Shirayichud, and I said last week that the ultimate result of Rav Shlomo Eger was that he made a takanon, a special uh, list of instructions under what conditions it would be proper to say Shirayichud, and uh, as we mentioned last week. The chuvas we discussed last week were mostly from Arachaim. Today I'd like to discuss chuvas that appeared in the other Chalakim of the Shulchan Aruch. In Yeridea Simon Aleph, the question was asked about a certain Shulchet who had signed, apparently, a letter that was found in the, paid in the Yerusha, uh, what was left by a Rav of the Yerkihila, and in, among his papers they found that the, the uh, Shochet had signed that he will not do Shechita in that city unless another person, another Shochet, would be with him. And that Shochet would be impro- approved by the Ruf. And it seems that the Shochet did not follow those conditions and did Shechita with another, without another Shochet present. Shlomo Eger answered this question by saying he needs to know more details. I assume that the 
Rabbanut called the Shochidin and asked him why he did it. So I'd like to have his answer. They wrote back to him and said that the another Rav of the of the Bet Sedek asked him to sign that he will not do Shechita unless there's another Shochid present. The Shochid refused to do it. So the member of the of the Bezdin said to him, "Why do you why do you refrain from signing it? You already signed the document like that." So the Shochid answered, "Well, that either was Nimchal; he waived the document, the original Rav, or it, for some reason it's no longer valid." Then he also added, "The Shochid, you know, Bezdin doesn't have any." power to enforce their conditions today. The father-in-law of the Shochet wrote to the people involved that he really did not swear that he wouldn't do Shechita without someone else present as this condition had to be approved, it wasn't approved, the local people at the present time told him either Shecht now or we're going to fire you. Moreover, the father-in-law said he didn't Shecht by himself, he Shechted with me. Now it's true that the, he said, I'm not a Shochet, but apparently he is a Tamit Chacham. He didn't know the laws of Shechita that well, but he said the presence of another person w- should be sufficient. The Reb Eger answered that First of all, I'm not going to discuss whether the, the, we can puzzle this shochet or not, because that you have to know the local statutes, the Dina de Malchusa involved, and that I, I, I don't want to be involved in. But the other question is, did the shochet do something improper? What the main discussion of Rabbi Shlomo Eger here is, let's discuss, is this indeed a Shavua? Because the Shavua generally is said orally. Yevatei ha'adam b'Shavua, Yevatei, ish o ki yafli, hafla. You require utterance, you require speech. And here, the Shavua was b'ksav, written. Rav Shlomo pointed out that many people have already discussed this issue if there is a concept of Shvua Bichsav. We know that Shvua originally the idea was to say it clearly, but nevertheless the question came up in Halacha many, many times. Do you say Ksiva Kadibur Dami for the purpose of, of a Shvua? Rabbi Shlomo Eger used his Bekiyas to quote a Shvua of the Chavos Yair, a Shvua of the Shvus Yaakov, the Shav Yaakov, the Rabbi Kiva Eger himself. The Tumim all brought proofs to this way and to that way, whether Shvua Bichsav, the uh, Mahadir, the editor of this particular volume, Rav Ketzel Nabaygin, added to this the Shuvah the Doda Bihuda, Shuvah the Shuvah the Beis Yitzchak. Very famous question. Do we say Ksiva Kadibur for Shvua or not? In general, Shlomo Eger works very systematically. 
to show areas where the halacha is fairly clear. For example, the Torah said, Apishnaim Edim. Edim have to speak verbally. And we know that Rashi and Chumash quotes, quoted by Tosas and Ksubis, that the Edim should not sign their Edus and mail it to Bezdin. Edus has to be oral. Another proof would be that a person who made a shvua not to speak to someone is allowed to write him a letter. That's a halacha complete, completely found in the Shulchan Aruch, in Yeridea. So you see, Ksiva, lav kedibodami. But we could argue with all of the of these rayas, and Reb Shlomo Eger in a yachasit in a long tshuva brings discussion this way, that way, whether you can argue with the rayas. For example, the halacha of edim have to be have to be speak have to speak, not to send it. So Reb Shlomo refers to Rishonim who discuss the problem of writing Edus. Is it because Edus cannot be Bechsav at all? Edus really must be said verbally? Or is it because there is no direct communication between the person who receives the Edus and the person who gave the Edus? For example, what would happen if the Edim would go to Bezdin but write it in Bezdin? That happens to be a Machlokas Rishonim, which is quoted, at least part of the, some of the opinions are quoted by Reb Shlomoeger in this, in this tshuva, that maybe in such a case, you would say, the Edim could write in Bezdin, because writing itself is communication. You need direct communication. I could say the same thing about a person who swore, made a shvua, that he would not speak to somebody. And, but he's allowed to write him a letter. Perhaps the idea is that you're not allowed direct communication. Sending a letter is not considered direct. But if you would write the letter in front of him, maybe it would be considered. In our particular case, the shvua was written in front of the raf. So maybe that it would be ksiva kadibur. Other issues that would be raised in this connection would be, did he really write the ksuba? Did he really write the shvua? Or maybe he just signed his name. Was there a real shvua involved? All these questions are taken up by Rabbi Shlomo Eger. And I would like to add another famous halacha to this discussion. In Shulchan Aruch, the, the Mechaber, Paskins, that you do not make a bracha on thinking Torah. If a person is meharher b'devet Torah, you just wake up in the morning and you think of Torah, the, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, you do not make a bracha. The Vilna Gaon disagrees on that particular halacha and simen mem However, the Shulchan Aruch says, even though you don't make a bracha on Hirur, you make a bracha on Ksiva. That might prove 
that Ksiva is Kedibur. If the Shulchan Aruch paskins that you do not make a bracha on Hirur, you make a bracha on Dibur, and in between you have Ksiva, and Ksiva is, does require a bracha, maybe Ksiva is Kedibur. One last point should be made about the topic of this tshuva. The Shochet who spoke to the Rav, to the member of the Bezdin, and said Bezdin has no power to enforce anything, that person should be reprimanded for insulting Bezdin, for limiting the power of Bezdin. So that should be done in a direct manner of reprimanding the Shochet. But nevertheless, because of this whole discussion and decision, it seems that the Halacha could be paskind that the Shochet could do Shechita. You must also say, discuss another question, if indeed he did transgress a Shvua, would that make him automatically Pasal Veshechita? A person who made a Shvua Sheker, is he automatically puzzle? A person could argue and say, well, in general, maybe he wouldn't be invalidated from being a shochet. But in this case, he might be invalidated because the shvu itself was about shechita. Since it was related to this particular issue, maybe a person who was suspected in an area of, a specific area is suspected in anything to do with that area. And there, again, you'd have to have a long discussion. I'd like to point out, uh, personally, a curious thing. When I was a student in Yeshiva's Rabbeinu Yaakov Yosef in the 60s, in the 50s, so we used to sign the regents, uh, New York regents that were administered to us had a, had a statement made at the end that I promise I have not, or I swear, I don't remember what it said, that I have not given or received any help in this t- 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 particular test, and you had to sign it. So for days before that, the regions, I remember there was a whole discussion in the yeshiva about all these chuvos. I remember the names of the Shvus Yaakov from then. And as a student in high school, I had never heard of the Shvus Yaakov. But I remember that they discussed the famous chuva, the Shvus Yaakov, about Shvua Bichsav. And the boys in the yeshiva discussed the pros and cons. Can you do a Shvua Bichsav? Can you not do a Shvua Bichsav? At one point I said to them, you know, spending so much time when discussing Shvabichsav, if instead of spending so much time at Shvabichsav, you would learn a little bit of algebra, you wouldn't have to discuss the whole topic. Nevertheless, in RJJ, this was a cause celebra. What's the din of Shvabichsav? Another tshuva that also might show the times was a tshuva in Yeridea Simen Lamed Base. The question was asked by a community. In 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 fact, the tshuva was sent to a, a rav in in um, from a rav in Shtiagard. Now I don't know what Shtiagard is, but the question was asked that someone had asked him about the Rabbanut of Berlin. Now, let's remember what was going on in Berlin approximately at that time with the Reform Movement, with the Maskilim. But the question was asked that 
a certain person was called, was given the honorary kavod, which is, of course, well known in the German circles, as called Morenu. Now, this particular person that was given this title, Morenu, had apparently traveled on Shabbos. He was not considered uh, observant of the halacha. So some people said that the name Morenu should not apply to him. Other people said, Morenu is a title that's given to a Tamid Chacham. And the definition of a Tamid Chacham is a person who knows a lot of Torah. Since this person does know a lot of Torah, then he should be called Morenu. They also mentioned that in their community, there was a custom to even call the local doctor Morenu. Even though there were doctors who were not observant. But as a title of respect for the doctor, they called him Moreno. So, what would be the situation in our case? Shlomo Ege said, the name Moreno in the Jewish religion, in the Jewish nation, is given only to a person who is not only knowledgeable in Torah, Tamit Chacham, but is a person who is observant of Jewish law. Let's say we would a person would see this person have a title of Moreno, would he allow him to perform a wedding to arrange a get? We for sure we would not allow him to do that. If we would call him Moreno, people might make a mistake. People might also think that if his name is Moreno, then he would be doing things that are proper. And if I see him doing something, I could assume that that's proper as well. As far as the fact that the person is called, the doctors are called Moreno. So Rav Shomleger said, that is a bad minik, And a bad minik has no custom, uh, is not considered a custom. Secondly, I don't know if this custom exists. In my cities, it doesn't exist. In Warsaw, where I used to live, and all of Poland, there were many Jewish doctors. I never heard them call him a, a Moreno. That's not considered a minig that we never heard about. In your particular city, there Steigard, there's no great Tamei there anyway. There's no great uh, community of, 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 of Jews, of religious Jews. So there's a minig that exists there would not be considered a minig. So therefore, the bottom line is Reb Shlomo Eger said he should not be called Moreno. And that was simple. The issue would be, what would happen if they already had given him the name Moreno? The name was given to him. I don't know how they, what kind of a ceremony it was given. But either they found that they didn't know he was uh, not religious, or they gave it to him anyway. What would be the status then? Shlomo Eger quoted a Rambam. In Ilchas Sanhedrin, Perek Dalit Halacha Tesvav, the Rambam there says that you don't appoint a, a person to Sanhedrin unless he's appropriate for the position. And if you do, for one reason or another, the Rambam says it's not valid, and the Rambam contrasts it or compares it to 
a point to being makdish about mumla mizbeach. We know that if you give a carbon to the base of Mikdash, you give a certain animal to the base of Mikdash, it becomes kadosh once you des- designate it as being appropriate for the mizbeach. But if it's a balmum, an animal that has a, a certain defect and you cannot give it, you cannot sacrifice the mizbeach, then when you're makdish it, the hektish doesn't apply at all. It's just interesting to hear the to to hear the comparison. Makdish mum la mizbeach does not work. Calling a person a member of Sanhedrin, or in our case, calling him Moreno, would not mean anything. Again, in in the, in those times, the question might have been a very important political issue, as well. Another question I'd like to discuss in Yeridea was a question of a person speaking in the presence or in the community of the Rav without the Rav's permission, speaking in Shul. The, apparently, such a, a case came up. In a certain community in Poland, but for whatever reasons, Rabbi Shlomo did not want to identify the name of the people or the community. He calls it Rav Ploni and Kila Ploni in Poland. And there he mentions, discusses the concept of Kvod Haraf. And he says it's clear that you're not allowed to paskin in the place of the Rav or to give a drasha. He discusses a distinction that might be made between a local person or a guest, but nevertheless, he felt no one has a right to speak in that community unless he's on the same level as the Rav. It's not appropriate for a person that was chosen by the community to be the Rav to have someone speak if he's not if he does not give his own, his specific rishos. But, Rabbi Shalom says, who's going to get up today and say, I'm the equal of the Rav? Wouldn't that person himself be suspect? So therefore, he rejects this ap- approach and said, no one should speak without permission from the Rav. And especially so, if it's a Talmud in the place of his Rav. Now, he quotes the Rambam, as saying in Hilchas Talmud Torah that a Talmud in Perikei of Hilchas Talmud Torah that a Talmud should not paskin or lidrosh. Now, in the place of his Rav. Now, what's interesting is that when you talk about paskining in the place of a Rav, I can certainly understand that. But when you talk about giving a drasha, what's wrong with giving a drasha. Paskling is taking the place of the Rav. But giving a drasha in the place of the Rav, so everybody gets up in many communities where I live in Alon Shvut, in our community, Friday night, people speak every Friday night. They choose different people to speak every Friday night. I don't think anybody would think that it's an affront to the local Rav because you're not paskling, you're not taking the place of a Rav. 
So what's wrong with giving a drasha even without the Rav's permission? I assume in our community, of course, this was done with the permission of the Rav. But let's assume that it was done without the permission. What's so wrong about giving a drasha? So, interestingly enough, the Ramach on the Rambam. Now, the Ramach is Rab Moshe Kohen, who wrote Hasagos on the Rambam. For many years, the only evidence we had of the Hasagos of Ramach is they were quoted by the commentaries in the Rambam. The Kesef Mishnah very often quotes the Ramach. In this particular Rambam, the Ramach quoted the, is quoted by the Kesef Mishnah. Now, in this 20th century, we have uh, people who've printed a special volume called Hasagos HaRamach HaRambam. They, some of the Hasagas were from the Nosei Kalim, some they found in Kisvayat. But the Ramach here said that he doesn't know a source of the Rambam. The halacha of not to pask in the place of the Rav, that's pretty serious, pretty simple, straightforward. But to give a drush in the place of the Rav, the uh, Ramach says, I don't know the source for it. Interestingly enough, Rabbi Shlomo Eger said, it's true, I don't know the source for it, but the Rambam had a source. So we can rely on what the Rambam says even if we don't know his source. Very interesting approach. Modern poskim have written more to the effect that the Allah of Jerusha does not apply in our generation. That a, a person cannot give a drasha in the place of the Rav without explicit permission has been discussed in the Sefer, for example, Aruch HaShulchan. And he said, let's remember that in the time of the Rambam, a drasha was piske halacha. When a person used to give a drasha, there was a halachic drasha. So therefore, every statement made in there is basically a halachic issue. So at least some of the statements are halachic issues. And therefore... The Ramam said that the Talmud should not do this in the place of his Raf. However, today, where the drasha is homiletics, it's a nice idea, but it doesn't generally have anything to do with Psak Halacha. The Archa Shulchan said this Halacha doesn't apply. And in that respect, the Archa Shulchan reconciles the Ramach and the Ramam. He says, really, they don't argue at all. The question is, does this drasha have Halacha and it or not have Halacha? The Rambam is referring to a time when it had halacha, it's referring to a place where a drush had halacha, and said, therefore, it's not proper. But the uh, Ramach is referring to a place where there was no halacha involved, and therefore it's permitted. The last truth I'd like to mention is a shayla that appeared in the Evan Oezer. And the question was something that has come up in my mind until this very day. The question was discussed having a wedding ceremony performed in, in the shul. The custom, and I think among Orthodox Jews, is still prevalent today, that the chuppah should be held outside, under the sky. So there's a problem in general of changing a minig that chuppah should be outside. Secondly, the question was, is it proper to have the chuppah in the Betakneset itself, not in a side room or in the women's section, but in the Betakneset? So, the Shlomo Eger says there are many, many reasons to object to this practice. Moreover, it's a sign of the times. Because people today think, oh, well, we can pass in a question. Why? Because they can look up something in the Shulchan Aruch. And there they pass in their own psak. Aren't they 
should they shouldn't they be aware that in order to really paskin, a person has to have general knowledge, general understanding of halacha, not just be able to look up this particular halacha on the internet or in the... Rav Shlomeger, of course, wasn't referring to the internet, but he said, uh, just to look up the particular question, a person has to know, uh, has to be a person who can paskin, not just a person who can look up one particular halacha. In this issue, Rav Shlomeger said, you know... There are reasons to say it's usr, there are reasons to say it's mutter. If I really needed to, I think I could find a heter. But I don't see a good reason to find a heter. What are you looking for? To make the chuppah beautiful in the inside room? That's the tragedy of our generation. We only look for outer beauty. We don't look to fulfill details in halacha as much as the... the uh, the, the beauty of the setting. He also discussed the issue of allowing women to come into the shul, especially in a situation where they're nida. Now, in general, we allow women nida to come into shul, and for davening, for sure we would allow them. But nevertheless, Shlomo Eger distinguished between davening, and which is an important reason to allow women to come, and the chuppah. Now, of course, if there would be a chuppah, you're not going to say a woman neither can go. But the question is, should you have a, a chuppah under those conditions? Should we allow them to have a, a chuppah in the Bet Knesset? The bottom point of Rabbi Shlomo Eker is, I think, it's better for the Rav to refuse to have a chuppah in the Beth Knesset. And they shouldn't pressure the Rav to do it. It would cause a lot of anguish to the local Rav. And no one else should be Messiah the Kedushin without the permission of the local Rav. And therefore, he would be opposed to the custom. Interesting, Reb Shlomo Eger is opposed to it, but it seems in rather mild language. He said he could find a place to find the Heter. The Rav Ketzelnbeigen, who was the editor of these tshuvas, refers us to a tshuva of the Chassam Sofer, who said that people are going against the Ramah to have a a, a chuppah in the Bet Knesset. The Chassam Sofer, as was his custom, was very, very much upset by this change in custom, and he waxed eloquent against this custom in much stronger languages, much stronger language than we found in the Reb Shlomo To this day, I knew when I was younger of Rabbanim who would refuse to go to the chuppah if it was held in a shul. There were many of the Rabbanim that I knew that insisted that the chuppah not be in shul. But there were even some who said in, if the chuppah would be held in shul, they refused, not only did they refuse to be Messiah Kedushin, they refused to attend such a chuppah. Apparently, it was a custom that was well observed of having the chuppah outside. And the question was how you relate to these new customs and how you relate to Kedushas Beis in in general. So I know of cases where people 
very fine religious Orthodox Jews had a chuppin beit takneset. Reb Shlom Eicher said there is a lot of reason to find the heter. The question is, should we really find the heter, and would she abide the heter? Is it really necessary?